So the interesting thing every year with a new iOS release is, is what has changed. What do I need to get my app compatible with the latest version? This is Life in the Mobile Enterprise. Hi, this is Olivia, your host for Life in the Mobile Enterprise, and today I asked Magnus to join me for another Lime episode. Uh, Magnus is the product manager at Aperion and a current iOS 10 beta tester. So thanks for joining me, Magnus. Thanks for having me. So today I'd like to pick your brain a little bit about iOS 10, uh, the changes that you're noticing, the impact that you think it will have on app developers and distributors. We've seen a lot of hype around Apple's upcoming release. Rumors say that it's going to be released to the public sometime in mid-September. So I'm curious to know what, what your thoughts on iOS 10 are, and do you think it's going to live up to all this hype and excitement? No, yeah, exactly. So as you, as you mentioned, the, the buzz is, is, is huge. And, and as always, Apple and media is like creating a huge list of new features, all the new stuff. Um, and you as user have this impression that it's going to be very, very different. And, and the first few things um, when you upgrade or install the new version is always like, well, this, this feels similar. This, what, is, what, what really is new? Um, and I, I remember having the same feeling in the last few different OS versions. There's not any drastic whole changes, more incremental, incremental changes and, and introducing new features in, in the new vertical. So with, with iOS 10, the, the few things that you actually notice as, as the user that is very different um, than in iOS 9 is the um, lock screen. So the whole notion of swiping to the right and getting your pin pad to, to open the phone is removed. And the to, today screen is introduced where today's screen is, is kind of the widget screen uh, where, where apps can display um, small amounts of information where you used to access, be able to access from, um, from the top-down notification screen. Now you can actually access that on the lock screen. And what's interesting is that Apple is clearly trying to educate you as a user to use the widget screen to interact with some of your apps. Um, instead of opening the apps, you should be able to just look at the widget screen and get the information you need. And now, by, by the changes they introduced on the lock screen, if you lift your phone, it automatically kind of displays and turns on showing the lock screen, and you will be able to see those widgets uh, immediately, such as, for example, a to-do list or the weather app. And you can also even interact with these um, doing basic uh, touches or basic uh, perform basic actions. So that's a big difference, and it, it's very confusing in the start where you try to open your phone and it doesn't work in the same same way. Okay, and so to kind of get your phone to turn on, you d you no longer have to press the home button or one of the side buttons. You can just just the action of lifting it up will make exactly. the screen turn on. Okay, exactly. So that's a different, and then the other part where, where you actually notice a big difference is the messaging app. 
So messages, um, formerly known as iMessage, the Apple's messaging system, has some really cool new features and nuances and, and gimmicks um, on the visual side. So new look and feel, uh, easier to add pictures, easier to add emojis, e easier to uh, add some of the visual effects you can do, which is all nice and, and gimmicky. Um, but what's, what's interesting is that it opens up the messaging um, space or, or the keyboard space to third-party developers. And that was also introduced in earlier versions where you can have a custom uh, or a third-party keyboard, but really around the, the, the keyboard. And, and what we saw was that a lot of uh, developers made emoji keyboards in, in different themes, and you as a user can, can access those and use those to send different kind of pictures. Now this has been even even more enhanced and, and, and really what, what Apple has done is to open up for a messaging app store. Similar, similar as, for example, uh, the Watch app store. So you have um, third-party developers who can, who can deploy apps and you as a user can find them in, in kind of a concentrated messaging app store. And, and you will be able to do more than just create um, emoji keyboards. The, the examples Apple is using is, is a lot similar to, for example, Facebook's and, and Slack's bot applications. So you can order an Uber, you can request a meal from, from DoorDash, you can talk to some delivery service, you can let, get the latest news, the latest updates, um, send media, interact with your Dropbox, for example, basically access your Dropbox from your keyboard when you want to send files. And there's a lot of interesting applications and, and, and nuances where you can actually create very useful features uh, also in the enterprise space. Uh, so where, for example, Dropbox is a good example. A lot of things, what you do is to um, forward files, forward for different media files. And then be able to do that directly from your keyboard or from the messaging app service, which is easily accessed from the keyboard. Also, the, the business-to-consumer interaction is interesting. So you can have services that your company is delivering that either can be accessed by the, by the customers or internal employees, right? So either communication, um, submitting... Um, submitting different kinds of information, so either maybe an expense report, maybe just uh, ideas and stuff like that. Okay, so yeah, they definitely have made a lot of updates pushing it much further than just a custom keyboard or adding your emojis in. Now these exactly. third-party apps can become a part of that messaging app. So is that something that users have to enable or will these automatically be a part of everyone's messaging app when they up update? Yeah, so there's, it's basically something that is on by default and you can access it. It's part of your new look and feel of the app. But you can, you can choose to um, automatically install or, um, or not install, but basically launch the third-party messaging app when you download their app from the app store. So say you have Uber, if you have this uh, setting on, but just by having Uber app on your phone, it will 
automatically um, also install their messaging app when they release that or launch that. Okay, so when you have the app installed on your phone and that enabled, it will automatically work. Yeah, okay. or you can go and find specific keyboard apps. So it's similar to getting an app. You look for a feature, search for it, and then you might find somebody who has developed it, and you can download and install it. Okay. Are there any other um, changes that you're noticing? Yeah, so there's a lot of interesting verticals, basically, where Apple is is starting to open up more, introducing, uh, and specifically to to developers, um, new access, new features, and, and a lot of new kits. So Kit is, is a set of features that you as a developer can interact with. Um, and, and the new ones that are, are getting pretty, uh, are pretty interesting is the Siri Kit, or the Siri SDK, Phone Kit, Map Kit, and of course Messages, um, which I already mentioned. And, and this gives a developer a set of tools to enable uh, or to be able to, to develop new features for the user. And what's interesting with, for example, SiriKit, which I think is the most interesting part, is that now you can take advantage of, um, of Apple's voice recognition tool and have your app user interact with your app through Siri. So basically, you can ask, as a user, ask Siri to um, order an Uber. And that will just trigger the Uber app but not only launching the app, actually either order that Uber or give you a response from within the app without even kind of opening or seeing the Uber app. Wow. That brings a lot of possibilities where you can think about what, what features in the app are mostly used and what features could be beneficial to be, um, to be accessed really quickly and in a hands-free way. Unfortunately... Um, Apple, uh, as usual, is limiting the first set of, of possibilities. So there's only six types of apps that will be able to, um, to use Siri. And that is um, ride-sharing, ride-booking, so Uber, Lyft kind of style. Mm-hmm. Messaging apps, so your WhatsApp or your Viber or any of those can construct and send messages. Uh, photo search apps, so photo albums can... You can basically ask Siri to find a specific picture in the photo app. Payments, so send money through Venmo. Uh, VoIP calling. Uh, and then workouts or training apps. So start a training session, record a training session, and or do a VoIP call. Okay, well those seem like pretty logical places to start. The picture one throws me off a little bit. How can... Siri, know what picture you're looking for. So the um, the query is is handled in the app itself. So the difference is that um, instead of typing in a search, for example, in your um, Google Photos album or Google app, uh, you can search for beach, and it will already has already analyzed your photos and tied it with certain different um, labels. So when you search for beach. It will give you return all the pictures that it thinks is of a beach. Wow. And then instead of typing this, Siri will be the interaction between um, you and that app and be the interface. And also actually then return that picture on 
the series screen, not in the app itself. Okay. You will have be able to have a conversation where, oh, I really need to find this picture from five years ago on a beach, and it could be Siri will answer you, is it this, and you will be able to see the picture. Wow, cool. Yeah, it's interesting, and it's a, it's a, a good starting point from Apple to start opening some of these capabilities. And it's going to be exciting to see what third-party developers will be able to do with it. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure the developers will be excited to be able to leverage Siri in these new ways. Exactly. Like a good example, which unfortunately you're not able to now, but which in a matter of time or until next release, um, where apps can have a deeper, broader sense of, of using Siri. You can have a technician, instead of having to go through... The, the manual and read through the manual to figure out in which order to connect these cables um, to integrate the system. They could be interacting with the um, technical manual through Siri and ask Siri questions like, in what order should I connect these cables when I, and I uh, integrate these two systems? And Siri will be able to read back to you um, what's in the manual. Like a little sidekick. Very cool. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then we have on um, on a kind of related side the the Apple Watch, which, which is Apple Watch had a lot of buzz when it first was launched, and back and forth, and a lot of different um, different apps were were developed to it. But um, it hasn't really been that change um, impactful change that people maybe thought initially. Okay. So it, it's still doing pretty well. It's pretty decent sales. Um, I still see a lot of people using it. But when I talk to people, it's, it, it's really not really not using a lot of third-party apps. There's not a killer app um, for the watch. And, and what you end up using is, is the kind of the native Apple-developed apps that, that runs or comes with the watch itself. And I think part of that problem is it's kind of the slowness of running third-party apps and the launch time, and also a little bit of cumbersome user experience when trying to find apps and, and launch apps. With the new Apple Watch OS 3, there's some drastic improvements in launch time and, and runtime from, from have to wait a couple of seconds, three, four seconds, to an instant launch, instant display of information, um, a lot easier background loading of apps, background updates, the app can um, have the information already loaded before you interact with it. Um, there's the different methods in where apps can sync um, multiple times during a day, so your weather app will have the most updated weather even when you haven't run the app. And I think that will, will be a s small change in terms of a new feature or a new set, but it will be very impactful for the the kind of the Apple Watch, the the watch wearable watches kind of thinking and and the possibility you have around apps. So now you 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 have everything you need to make a make a watch app that is a third party app which will have the experience of a native phone app. Okay, so yeah, the initial hype around the watch was was because it was a brand new type of device Apple was putting out. But you think that that's kind of 
died down a little bit, but with this new operating system and uh, you think it's going to really increase the functionality for third party and it might give the watch a kind of second win? Yes, I think I think you maybe not a second win. I think either it's it's almost like it, either you like it or you don't like it. Okay. Um, but we will see some interesting use cases where uh, third-party apps are able to find that that functionality that really works on a watch. And w- what's really difficult is is basically constraint you have um, of the screen in addition to the the processing power of the watch itself and, and kind of the, the, um, the launch time, which now will be improved, you still have a really small screen. So you are limited in what types of applications you can build. You can't have an application that requires a lot of input, such as submitting an expense report. It requires way too much typing, way too much scrolling, way too much talking to Siri to be able to fill out an expense report on, on your watch. You can't have an application that has a lot of output either. It's not you can't you can't get a presentation and flip through a presentation that you were supposed to give feedback to. It's too small, you don't get the picture, you can't read the small text. So so you need to find something where the input is short or input is, is very, very, very basic, or the output is, is short and very, very basic. So so a lot of the, the, the use cases you might find is, is around starting-stopping processes. So the start-stop is basically a button, maybe a switch here and there, there and maybe a setting. And then uh, simple updates, simple feedback, simple notifications. So, so this brings me to the, the kind of the Internet of Things um, connection with mobile and, and Apple Watch. You can have applications that will start set of Internet of Things connected um, systems and, and perform um, or start a process or start a system and then give feedback on, on, the, on the performance and on kind of the analytics of it, if there's any error message, messages and stuff like that. So that I think that there, there is a use case where, um, where the end user will be, okay, this is super useful. I really like to interact with this application or this system through my watch instead of the phone or the computer. But I haven't seen really the, the killer one yet. Okay. Maybe it's maybe it's on its way. All right. So do you have any do you have any advice for app developers or maybe uh, enterprises who are distributing apps? Um, advice for them and, and what they need to do to prepare for iOS ten? Exactly. So the interesting thing every year with a new iOS release is, is what has changed. What do I need to get my app um, compatible with the latest version? And, and while iOS 10 doesn't seem to bring a lot of deep technical changes, you, you should be able to actually use your app as is on iOS 10 and it will look and work and feel the same way. There's one difference with, with where Apple has introduced a user notification or pop-up on when an app is built with a 32-bit target versus a 64-bit target, and that app is running on a 64-bit device. So the last two, three um, versions of the phone has a 64-bit in it. And then when you run the app, you will see a pop-up that says something like, this app is not optimized for running on this device. You might not experience have the best user experience. 
which is kind of this one-time thing. It's not blocking you. It doesn't really have any impact on the app performance itself. But it, it's not a great user experience because you will have users who don't really know what 64 versus 32-bit means, what optimized means. Do I have like do I have a lesser version? And it just seems seems sloppy to to, to develop an app or, or have an app that is not um, have the correct bold settings. Okay, yeah, I can definitely see that notification kind of catching users off guard and and might cause them to not want to install the app because they don't know what it means. Exactly, and it, it's really easy. It just change your build target in Xcode, recompile it, and then you have it's the bit version. Okay. But that said, that is kind of the um, from from our testing and, and our digging into the changes in iOS ten. Um, but there still could be minor API changes, minor um, UI changes that will impact your app. So uh, as an enterprise with iOS apps, make sure you install, run, and test on a iOS ten beta version before September. Um, so you know if you you will have to make any changes and do it in good time so that you have time to make these changes before the new OS releases. Okay. And then, of course, look at the, all the new features. Look at uh, the possibilities you have with the new different kits. Is there any way you can improve the user experience or add functionality in your app with these new features? Okay. So the only big changes you recommend switching your app to be 64-bit and and still just giving iOS 10 a tryout with your app and thinking about what, what's possible with the, the new features and new updates out there. Exactly. It's perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me and sharing what you've been seeing with the new OS. I'm sure everyone is excited to get their hands on it. Exactly. Thank you for having me. Okay, that's a wrap for this episode of Life in the Mobile Enterprise. Thanks for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, make sure to subscribe on iTunes or catch each episode on the MAM blog at aperion.com slash MAM blog. Follow us on Twitter at Aperion and let us know what you think or email feedback and ideas to podcast at Until next time.